Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. A reading from Exodus, chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and of the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, graciously hear the prayers of your people, that we who justly suffer the consequence of our sin may be mercifully delivered by your goodness to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. There is a great temptation to believe that if God is displeased with me because of my sin, then he must be pleased with me, satisfied with me, because of my good works. This is kind of our default position as fallen creatures. In order to help us understand the reality, this is in fact not true, Jesus gives to us the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So he goes out into the worker pool and he grabs all the guys that are there and says, Come and work in my vineyard. I'll give you a denarius a day's wage. It's what you would normally pay. There's nothing really all that odd about this text so far. And after agreeing with them, they go in and they start working. But then he does something rather odd. He goes back out a few hours later and he gets some more. And we get the first hint that something's not quite right here. He says, go in to my vineyard and I will give you what is right, whatever is just. And then he does it again, and he does it again. And then finally, he goes out at the 11th hour. This is 11 hours after sunup. So the, the people who have come in first have been working for 11 hours at this point. And he goes in and he finds these people who are just lounging around, they have apparently not been there the other times that he's come out to hire people. He says, why are you just lounging around here? And they say, well, no one's hired us. And he says, get in the vineyard. And interestingly, he doesn't say anything about work. He just tells them to get in the vineyard. And it's so late in the day, in fact, and by the time that the master has gone out at the 11th hour and found these people and brought them into the vineyard, They've got enough time to basically go up to one of the vines and poke it with a stick, and then it's time to get paid. They've done basically nothing. And so the master has the people line up, and he starts paying them, starting with the ones who had only worked an hour, and not even that. 
and he gives them a denarius. And so you can imagine at the back of the line, these guys who have been working for 12 hours, who are all sweaty and dirty and covered with, uh, with juice from the, from the grapes, and they're all sticky, and they've got all the, the scratches from digging around and getting all the grapes off, that they're sitting there and they're, they're starting to get a little bit excited. They think they're going to get more than a denarius. This must be a very generous vineyard owner. But then they, they start kind of hedging their, their bet. You can see this in, in their mind as it goes through and he keeps paying a denarius, a denarius, a denarius. And, and they're still at the end, they're, they're hoping against hope that they're going to get more, that they're going to get 12 denarii, 12 days worth of work for one day's labor. They, they've already been planning out their, their lamb feast at home that they're going to grab on the on the way. And then the master does the unthinkable. He gives them a denarius, like he agreed. And they're indignant at him for this. They, they look at him begrudgingly, the text says, uh, the, the Greek's a little bit more emphatic, uh, they looked at him with an evil eye, is what it says. They are not at all pleased with this vineyard owner. And if we are honest, if we are placing ourselves into these workers who have been there for 12 hours, and we see this going on, we're indignant too. Because we think we ought to get more. We're sitting there with the same words echoing in the back of our minds. It's not fair. So it'd be, it'd be kind of like this. If we had a work day at the church, we'll have one coming up again soon, I'm sure. And you're in here for, for hours or we're outside uh, like we were a while back and putting all the, the new mulch in and, and whatnot. And then we, we come in to have pizza after all of this work and a member of the congregation just comes strolling up, kicks a little bit of mulch off the sidewalk into the mulch area, and then goes up and grabs the first slice of pizza. And you look at them, like, what did you do to earn that? That this is what's going on both in the worker's mind and in ours when we look at this. It's not fair. Because what's going on in the background of this is Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven itself is that we think that we have done what is necessary for us to be saved. And that if others are saved that have not done the same work, if others are saved at the 11th hour, if there's this guy who has, has fought against God his entire life and on his deathbed he converts and he gets the same reward in eternity as us who have borne the heat of the day, we look at that and we look at God and we say, it's not fair. We think fundamentally that if we have done enough good works, enough good things in our life, if we have kept the law enough, that we can earn our way into the resurrection, that we can earn our way into God's 
good graces, that we can earn his favor. But it was a false, misleading dream that God, his law, had given, that sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a mirror bright that brings the inward sin to light that lurks within our nature. And this idea that we can save ourselves and that we're somehow better shows up especially when we compare ourselves to the unbeliever. And we say things like, at least I believe, unlike them. At least I have faith, unlike them. At least I have not rejected the gospel, unlike them. And here, what is being betrayed is that we think that faith itself is our good work what we have done. This is the whole deal of decision theology, that I have accepted Jesus. God has done everything, but I have accepted him. And what's going on in our minds here is that God has told us these two seemingly contradictory things, that you must do good works. You must abide by this law. And you are not saved by those works. But you must do them anyway. And we look around and we see others who are not keeping the law as good as we are, who have not been laboring as long as we have, who have not struggled and fought the fight as we have, who who have not borne the heat of the day, and we look begrudgingly at the Lord who gives to them as he does to us the same faith and the same rewards, and we look at him and we say, Lord, it's not fair. We hear this commendation of Jesus on the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And he says it to each and every laborer. And instead of responding, as we ought, we are but humble servants. We have only done what was our duty. We say with these workers, but it's not fair. We should get more. We look at Jesus along with them with an evil eye. And we begrudge his generosity, and we think that we should be in charge of how the Lord gives. And fundamentally, we think that God is in the business of being fair, which he is not. At the core of this, we don't realize what we're actually asking for. It's, it's similar to what happens right after this text, where you have James and John come up and say, hey, Jesus, you said that we're going to have these, 10, these 12 thrones to sit on. And our mom wants to know, can we have the ones right next to you? That would be fair. What we don't realize is that what would be fair is not for the apostles to sit on the 12 thrones. What would be fair is not for us to gain eternity and eternal life. What would be fair is for us to gain eternal condemnation. What would be fair is for God to condemn us to hell for eternity. That would be fair. We, after all, have transgressed against his law in its fullness. None is righteous. 
says St. Paul, says the psalmist. The wages of sin, the payment that is owed you, what is fair for what you have done and what I have done, is death. Not just temporal, but eternal. We don't deserve any of God's gifts. That would be fair. You remember that the creed actually outlines God's gifts to us. That in the first article, he gives us all the things of this world, all the things of creation, all the stuff. And as we confess in the small catechism, all this he gives to us, only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. What would be fair is for us to have nothing. And then in the second article, he gives to us himself in the person of Jesus. And what would be fair is for Jesus to have never been incarnate for our sake. And in the third article, he gives us the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And what would be fair is for us to have eternal condemnation. Yet as the law must be fulfilled, or we must die despairing, Christ came, and God's anger stilled, our human nature sharing. He has for us the law obeyed, and thus the Father's vengeance stayed, which over us impended. Since Christ his full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian, therefore, may be glad and build on this foundation. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. God is not fair, but God is just. I will give you what is just, he says. We do not get what we ought to get for our sins and our life. The gospel, dear saints, by its very nature, is not fair. If God were in the business of being fair, then Jesus would not be dead, and you would never make it to heaven. If God were in the business of being fair, then you, your sins would still be upon you, and you would forever be condemned. If God was in the business of being fair, you would still be in the line heading for eternal condemnation. But instead, because God is not fair, he jumps that line and stands in the front and kicks you over to the line leading to his mercy in eternity. And he takes the wrath and the punishment and all we owe. Because God is just and because he is gracious, because he is merciful and he is good and he is kind, he gives to you what you do not deserve. You are not cast away from the face of God. Instead, he places his name upon you and makes his face shine on you. That you are not given eternal condemnation, but instead you are given eternal life. That you are given instead Jesus himself. That instead of the Lord's wrath, you get your baptism. And you get the absolution. And you get the blessed supper of our Lord. That instead of being cast into hell, you get the forgiveness of sins. That instead of standing in your sin, you get the perfection of Jesus. And you get the righteousness of God, and you get the holiness of the Father. You get everything you do not deserve 
and you get nothing that you do. And we look at this and we say, but that's not fair. It's not fair, Jesus. It's not fair that you would give me this completely unearned, unmerited, unfair gift. To which he responds, am I not free to do with what is mine as I please? And now instead of looking at Jesus with a begrudging evil eye, we look at him with joy and gladness because he has not given us what he should. We look at him with joy because his death is now your life indeed. We look at him with gladness because in the Lord's mercy, you have Jesus himself. And we stand at the end with this alone, Jesus. All we have is Jesus. And that is enough. All we have in the end is Jesus. And that is in the end, everything. And because God is merciful and kind and just, in his mercy, he also blesses your work. And he reminds us that work is good, that it's good to labor in the vineyard, that we will be paid at the end of the day whatever is just, and that he will reward us for our good works even though he doesn't have to, even though our salvation is independent. Because faith clings to Jesus' cross alone. And by it, and rests in him unceasing, and by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. The Lord, being merciful and just, gives us our faith, and he gives us our good works, and he gives us eternity, and he gives us eternal joy, not because you've earned it, but because he is pleased to give you freely what belongs to him. And so we live by grace alone in the Lord's kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider going over to the Patreon page and supporting through that. You can find links to that and other pages in the podcast notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.